Hello and welcome to the Lavender Menace podcast. My name is Sunny. I use they them pronouns, she her for lesbians, and I'm really excited to be bringing to you, I believe, episode eight of season three. This episode, we have three hot takes to discuss, and we have a piece of shorter media. New update for the Patreon. We're going to be making ex- Patreon-exclusive episodes and a movie that we watched together that would just have taken too much time to discuss in a full episode, I think, along with these three hot takes that were submitted and that were really good, was The Watermelon Woman, which is the which is a 90s film, and it's like a classic piece of lesbian cinema, black lesbian media. And if you want to hear our thoughts on that, join our Patreon. You can be a member paying $1 a month to $30 a month. Like anything works, bae. (laughs) You can support us that way. My name is Renaissance, and I also think that you should support us on Patreon um, (laughs) a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because we do put out like hours and hours and hours of free content. Yeah. Obviously with the with our podcast itself and then with our tiktok and like our random twitter things and stuff and like the amount of the amount of internet beef that we've gotten into in the past like the past (laughs) existence of this podcast like let's be real but also just like like recently it's 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 been kind of insane anyways let's just get into our typical three-part structure you know hot takes shared media and then recommendations as usual from your favorite lesbian communist correct media Sly. consumers like <laughs> the correct ones honestly i'm starting to believe we're the only, <laughs> ones, left, the only ones left standing because there i mean there's probably other ones of you but it, the ones that are not the bitches who can't don't get it are the ones who are very loud i fear like very it's us and our listeners against the literally, world literally literally so i'm going to read off this hot take we gotten in our emails from hania i believe hi sunny and renaissance my favorite parasocial besties <laughs> i think it's so funny when people like refer to me or to us as like people that they form parasocial relationships to because we obviously yeah. talk about having parasocial relationships to other people anyway then she says i'm hania she her 16 year old communist lesbian swifty from poland I love your podcast and I recommend it to anyone who will listen. My hot take is inspired by the takes I keep seeing approximately every three to five business days in quote unquote (laughs) leftist online spaces that without fail bothers me every time. The tanky argument. It's usually something along the lines of China, Vietnam, the USSR is not actual communism. Like the sheer amount of times I've seen people on Twitter call Stalinist Russia a state capitalist or fascist country. I literally deserve financial recompensation for that, methinks. <laughs> you cannot be a socialist without first unlearning all of the American propaganda that's been popularized as a weapon against communism. Criticizing countries that are already ostracized by the Western world is not the brave radical statement some people seem to think it is. I think they are drawn to the aesthetics of radicalism without any substance to it, or they're barely even social democrats who just want free healthcare, and that's fine, I guess, but it's not radical at all, LMAO. IDK, I hope this makes sense. Would love to hear y'all's thoughts. Much love. Thank you so much, Hania. And also, if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, I'm really sorry, but... Like, you're right. Like, I I think bitches on the internet just call anyone a tanky. They'll be like, you disagree with me? You're a tanky. Oh, I don't like you and you're a lesbian? You're a turf. Oh, you you don't like... Like, they will just (laughs) use words that, like, don't... It doesn't make sense. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm assuming, like, tanky comes from like tanks like yeah. military i'm pretty tanks. sure where but, the term comes from is the fact that 
in the, something about like how the USSR tried to suppress some sort of like military uprising against the USSR in one of their like satellite states and they you know brought the military force like the tanks then and like mm-hmm. people basically people use use the term tanky as a pejorative against people who supported the USSR doing that and more generally support the USSR so that's where that comes from from what i understand i mean does it need a pejorative? Like, that's just correct, you know? That's just, like, yeah. I don't really hang in leftist online spaces. Like, to me, leftist online spaces are our mutual commie friends yeah, yeah. that we my have. My quote-unquote leftist like, online spaces, my friends. Like, <laughs> I know a lot yeah, of y'all don't have those, but I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, and, like, book groups yeah. that we have shared that we were in together, like, those were on Zoom, but that's just because none of us, like, lived near each right. other. It's not that those were necessarily online yeah. Like, we didn't follow each other on spaces. Twitter before that. We just, like, got yeah. roped into the group and then started following each other on Twitter and, like, organizing together and whatever, you know? Like, it's just, it's different, I fear, than the sort of... There's a weird culture online with any sort of political thing, but particularly with leftists, quote unquote leftists, I don't even like that term, but like that I think has a lot to do with the fact that bitches do not touch grass, like don't organize, don't talk to people. And that's really unfortunate for you because in real life, like who is going to say shit about tankies? Like I've been at rallies and marches and protests and, and shit where people who are like anarchists are next to bitches carrying Lenin flags. And it's like, people are Mm -hmm. not going to beef over that because there's a greater issue at, at stake here. I mean, like, I think there's an obvious correct way to approach politics and it has to do with mm-hmm. how, with being informed and like actually knowing what the fuck you're talking about. But the nature of the internet is that because you don't actually have to interact with people while doing something, you just interact with people in like this casual, you know, like entertainment based way via social media it, it becomes so semantics based and like there's a lot of infighting and so it's kind of similar to how when we talk about the various sapphic beefs on the on the internet or like you know mm-hmm. lgbt people fighting each other online it's like in real life all my friends are gay people and none of us have issues with each other on the basis of our identities because we mm-hmm. like we're literally normal like i mean as normal as you can be but like we <laughs> and and that's i think is similar it's similar in any marginalized group or space or, yeah. or movement you just online because of the nature of how internet discourse works people are fucking annoying and just make up words or use words incorrectly to demonize people that they disagree with simply and they only disagree with them because they themselves are ignorant and like you know i'm a huge linguistics fan i i love an etymological moment etc etc you know love semantics but not in this way like some of you really need to engage in in your community and talk to people and you know i was once a little prop piece for like my local democratic party or whatever when i was in in high school and at the last women's march that i gave a speech and it was in january of 2020 because it was which I almost couldn't remember, but then I was like, wait, that was before the pandemic, so it was in person. But, like, at the end of that speech, like, I very clearly censored, like, black trans women. And I said free Palestine at the end of my speech and talked about, like, censoring women who are oppressed by the United States 
abroad, not only domestically, in that speech. And I probably, I probably would have a better speech now than I mm-hmm. did at that time because that was when I, that was before I started engaging in theory. But as just at that time, an eighteen-year-old, I just knew that that framework needed to was true, was inherently true. And even though I was speaking as a guest of people who were liberals running the women's uh, democrats yeah 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 and an older woman no one actually fights you yeah on that in the way that on twitter or something people who aren't actually engaging in anything in real life will just attack people on the basis that they saw their tweet and they think that they disagree with it and so they will say something in a way that in real life even if people didn't agree with everything that I was saying, even in that space that was supposed to be, you know, this feminist space or whatever. No one actually says anything. And so I think with like this tanky argument, if if it's just online, oh, first of all, to quote Taylor Swift, some of you need to calm down. Like some of you truly need Literally. to calm down. Saying that like China, Vietnam and the USSR are not actual communism. In, in a way that I'm assuming, like, Hania says, as a, a state capitalist, which... Yeah, whenever people use... What, is, what does that people mean? People in my comments will and, be like... Or, like, a fascist state country. Capitalist, it's fascist, like, blah, 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 like, Stalinist. You could not define a single term that you're trying to use right now. Like, please tell me what these things yeah, mean. Yeah, that's, that's the issue. Is like, you need to... I mean, obviously, actual communism, quote-unquote, yeah. would come with, like... The disillusionment of like state exactly. itself. So obviously, a country can't have cannot be actual communism. communism, and that's yes. how you know bitches don't because read. Would bitches don't know what words they're no using. Country. Because if you knew what these concepts even were, if you actually thoroughly understood mm-hmm. them in the way that you act like you do with the words and rhetoric that you're using, then you wouldn't be acting in this way. You wouldn't be behaving in this way. You wouldn't be speaking in this way. You'd be you wouldn't be using these words in this particular way. For example, the term state capitalist is just so absolutely baffling and puzzling to me because what is socialism? (laughs) What is socialism to you? Like, if the workers own the means of production and the workers are the state... And there is a dictatorship... Of the proletariat. Like, Like, of the proletariat. And if capitalism is right now the mechanisms by which the means of production are sort of like you know maintained and like that's sort of what is described as the as the global system of how things are made and things are sold and whatever when workers do it and workers own it and not capitalists it's just contradictory to this idea of state capitalism yes China is a quote-unquote state capitalist state because a lot of their major corporations and businesses are, like, a lot of the shareholders are the Chinese government. That's that's socialism, babes. Because the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, ha- has, like, a huge membership enrollment and, like, a 90% approval rate in China. Like, yeah, I was gonna say, isn't, if this, if the shareholders are is the Chinese government and the Chinese government is the Chinese people, (laughs) then the people (laughs) own these businesses. I fear a lot of people work at companies and own companies and run companies that have affiliations with the government because that's the nature of how a process of socialism works. Similarly to in the USSR where the government sanctioned a lot of industry to be developed because it was necessary because Russia was a like Tsarist peasant backwoods country that was like 95 percent you know peasantry and then it became industrialized via stalin's policies like that's why the ussr became the powerhouse that it was 
And yeah, you, mm-hmm. if you're going to use the term state capitalist, I mean, I guess when you use that in a derogatory way or whatever, and you're using, you're obviously using these terms in ways that like you don't understand what state means, nor do you know what capitalist means. When you're just trying to say that like the state and the <laughs> and like the country itself owns the manufacturing and, and com- like, yeah, like that's good. Like that's, that's the point of socialism, my dude. Like that's actually, that's part of the process. And I, f- I think if you understood what Marx was talking about at all and Marx's ideas whatsoever, he's literally talking about how throughout the course of human history, we went from feudalism and then there was industrialization and then there was capitalism. And after capitalism, there's gonna be socialism and then there's gonna be communism. And the means of production and the ways that goods are made and how people relate to each other shift over time through these various systems. So it's just so bizarre to me that you think that we can jump straight from capitalism to communism because the whole point of why socialism exists and being a socialist is a thing is because that's not possible. That's also the issue that people have with anarchists, I think. And anarchists and tankies or whatever will like beef with each other online as well from what I've seen because of the fact that anarchists don't think that there should be a transitional state. That's usually the take that they kind of have. It's like you just have to destroy everything. But I think that like Kwame Ture said that revolution isn't always just about destroying, destroying, destroying. It's about building. And building Mm -hmm. is socialism. You have to build a state run by the people. Like right now the state is run Mm -hmm. by the bourgeois and the capitalists. And and, you know, bourgeois democracy, as Lenin said, is just a shell for capitalism. Like we have to make a world where people get the fruits of their labor. So, but then also these companies don't control the country and the people. The people in the country control the industry and the companies. Like that's what if if that's what you think state capitalism is and you think that's bad that's because you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what socialism and what communism are in the first place and how capitalism even operates and that's a you problem so i agree i also just want to say that they call these the china vietnam slash the ussr as a fascist country and if you're from any settler colonial state or any country in western europe really you're in a fascist country that's a fascist country. Yeah, like kids. you don't really have this the space, you don't really have the <laughs> ground to stand on to be calling these other places fascist um countries. Yeah. Especially if if like in the same breath you don't think that your own country is fascist or you're not living under fascism, then that just shows that you're blind to what that word actually means and what that looks like people get really caught up in the sparkle sparkle of freedom of choice as in like when you go to the grocery store you can choose between like fucking cheerios or i don't know but basically that you just have but the thing is is that first of all that's not even true because if you look at the parent company of most of the things you buy in a grocery store in yeah in like at a target or at a walmart it's gonna be three to five companies that control the majority of that entire aisle despite how many quote-unquote brands you think there are but i think people get caught up in the freedom of the illusion of the freedom of choice in order to sacrifice actual democracy (laughs) like Mm -hmm. they don't want to have to fight for actual democracy instead of this facade that they that we have because they want to be able to think that they have the choice to go out on the weekend and they think they have the choice to wear whatever they want Mm -hmm. when that's not necessarily the case and so i think people's frameworks when they are calling people's tankies or criticizing these places 
have a severe blindness to their own reality that they live in. Yeah. Um, I also think that if you're using the term fascist, it's just like, this is why we talk about reading theory so much, because if you understood what fascism means, if you read, you know, George Jackson, Blood in My Eye, or, you know, Nkrumah, neocolonialism, or or Walter Rodney, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, and you think about fascism within a colonial sense, you think about what fascism actually means in terms of state power and control and a monopoly on violence, and how that's like related to colonization, Versus how you look at countries like China and Vietnam and Cuba, who who are countries victims of colonialism and their resistance to it being what establishes the socialist state in the first place. It's just absolutely delusional. Like, sorry, they are not the fascists. They were the ones kicking fascist asses out of their country so they could establish a worker's state. That is like, this is what you're really missing here along with many other things. And I think like when people get, again, with the, uh, we talk about this so much about the whole like reading theory thing, but again, like people want to use words that they don't know what they mean, but then when you say that you you don't know what those words mean, and I can tell because of the way that you are speaking and the words that you're using and the mm-hmm. context in what you're trying and the points you're trying to make, they get upset because they think that you're calling them dumb or whatever. When it's like, you're misinformed. You're genuinely just misinformed, and the only way yeah. you can fight misinformation is through information. It's not just rhetoric. You need to actually understand what you're talking about if you want to talk about it. Like learning a new language in a way like it is a set of vocabulary words that you learn like you know it's not like a fucking spelling test or anything but it is a new set of vocabulary that you acquire through this reading through this engagement and through thinking that also gives you the context to these words why they are used in a certain way what do these theorists and authors mean when they use these words in a certain way and once you engage and you read these texts one you realize that there really isn't any other word to describe what you want to describe without this particular language and also that it has that these words such as fascism capitalism um mm-hmm. you know things like that uh it, just the two from like this email have very specific meaning because the the people who are using them incorrectly are in fact using them incorrectly that is what proves that they have not engaged or read in anything and most likely are unwilling to admit that when when you say that because it literally would not be possible for them to use the words in these ways if they had read. And, and that's a problem. I think people think that they can think independently without engaging or at least without talking to other people who have read to at least put them on the right path to what they should read or what they should engage with and that is an issue I think obviously you know living in the world observing if you actually take the time to sit back you can you can kind of start to piece together that things are probably not functioning in the best way that they could for the interest of the people but I think that trying to criticize the USSR of all places um and trying to end Vietnam with your dusty ass like you sh- you should sit down. Please, you should sit down. Especially when it comes to unlearning American propaganda. Like I'm sorry. Yeah. Like some of you are are deep, deep in in the trenches of American propaganda of what you think these words mean, and 
that is not the case. Like, not every country that the U.S. dislikes is bad. Is fascist. Yeah. Or bad. The United States is not the... Arbiter of morality for the world. Yeah, exactly. I think we've talked about this before on the pod where someone said, like... I know that the United States is bad, but putting sanctions on North Korea is, like, good. Mm -hmm. But they refuse to see that if they know that the United States is fucked up, then how can they think that the United States has a moral backing to do anything to any any other country? There's a lot of delusion involved in, in... convincing yourself of your superiority and your especially your moral superiority in order to maintain the dominance that you have in the world as an american you end in as someone who grows up in america who or who lives in america you you there's no way for you to to avoid inundating that sort of rhetoric and ideology of american hegemony being natural correct and right in every way and it kind of reminds me i've been i've been having to do a lot of readings from Seth Rockman, who is like a historian on American capitalism. And me and Renaissance were, I was losing my shit at Renaissance the other night because (laughs) I was reading some quotes from these rich people in the early 1800s in colonial North America, like 1830s, Baltimore, Pennsylvania, those types of cities where these like rich men would sort of try to answer the question of, okay, so many people are poor and why are people poor? And then they would ask all these rich people why they thought that poor people were poor. And it was just like fucking, it was fucking ridiculous. It was actually hilarious. The the things that people said as what, what could be the causes of poverty and what could be the solutions of it. And I think all of their answers, everything from saying, oh, well, everyone who's poor is just a drunkard or everyone who's poor is uh, should simply like save more or like they just don't want to work. They're lazy. Like that type of shit when in reality, historically speaking, everyone was working many jobs at any given time to just survive and had to scrimp and save and have and and make their own underground economy in order to just live because wage labor was not enough to get by much less support a family on anyway but the thing is is that the rich people who rule the city and who run that shit and who are the capitalists who provide the jobs quote unquote provide the jobs like they're the ones who have to sit in their delusion and think of all the reasons why their money deserves to just be theirs and why other people don't deserve things in order for you to deserve things other Mm -hmm. people don't like other people just don't deserve it and i think like that's the same thing with american imperialism one of um on page 361 of the unfree origins of american capitalism by seth rockman there's this paragraph that kind of talks about what we're saying right the events of the past decade or so the demise of the eastern bloc the transformation of russia the modernization of china and even the terrorist attacks on the united states on september 11th 2001 have confirmed for most americans that capitalism functions as a force of human liberation capitalism and democracy no longer exist as modes of social organization or power relations but as synonyms for individual choice increasingly americans understand society as a perpetual plebiscite so that participation in the market consumption becomes an act of democratic expression freedom has nothing to do with electoral politics or self-governance and everything to do with buying athletic shoes or downloading music to an ipod 
Capitalism brings choices and choices define democracy. The legitimacy of our democracy has never been more secure and more consistently reinforced in op-ed columns, television commercials, and campaign speeches. And then the next paragraph starts with the rhetorical melding of capitalism, democracy, and freedom is so central to American political discourse that many, many historians lack the critical distance to interrogate the relationship between capitalism and freedom in the nation's past. Anyway, that's sort of like a historical mm -hmm. context within, within the US and the context of everything else. But all of this is what informs people's rhetoric and understandings around quote unquote tankies. Great hot take. And we do hope that you get that financial comp <laughs> compensation Indeed. for having Indeed. to read these takes. Also, shout out to any other Polish listeners. I did not know that we had listeners in Poland or at least one. Yeah, so. that's crazy. Thanks. Um, so I, we have another email from Juan and I will read that for our second hot take. First things first, love the podcast, and I must admit that I have moved from mildly apathetic towards Taylor Swift to extremely interested in her discography <laughs> because of the two of you. I have a couple of hot takes Slay. that might make me sound like a bitch. That's how you know they're interesting. So true. So true. <laughs> That's the whole thesis of this Actually. podcast. The first one is that I absolutely despise the way valid like quote valid is used in quote internet discourse it is at best an empty platitude and at worst detrimental to discussions i think we can all agree that being quote unquote invalidated online is not equal to oppression and also if we are talking about someone's experiences i'm sorry but nobody has the power to invalidate that experiences are lived i can't tell you what you went through wasn't valid what does that even mean it just feels like a more roundabout way of saying that you disagree with an opinion but can't actually come up with a rebuttal so so you'll rely on the subjective feelings of the people involved the second i hear you're invalidating the insert anything you want here community i immediately tune out of the rest the second hot take is that nuance when used by neoliberals loses all meaning accusations of being unnuanced have just become a deflection especially if we are discussing american imperialism it is exhausting and just an empty way of claiming a higher moral ground that just doesn't exist same with you can care about two things at once because it is always said by people who don't actually care about the two things and you can tell because the topics are not actually equal in the amount of care that have been historically given to them i'm reminded of the times someone said ACAB includes the military on TikTok and the comments were filled with people essentially going you can care about the people being invaded and the people doing the invading as if there's any morality in that <laughs> and you know what there are some things that I don't care about the both sides of some things are actually black and white anyway love the podcast hope this rambling email wasn't too long and keep up the great job thank you so much thank you so much I appreciate it if these takes make you sound like a bitch, sign me up. I guess I'll just renew my yearly subscription to being a mm -hmm. bitch because pretty much hard agree on both of both of these are really valid. <laughs> I think these are both really valid takes. <laughs> right, right. Listen, Sunny and I, we have have had our battles with, with the yeah, use of valid yeah. on. In, in terms of quote-unquote internet You don't discourse. think bisexuals are valid? What about ace lesbians? Are they valid? You, you don't think that that okay. bitch... I'm so... Fu I, and that keeps on... Even when my TikToks have nothing to do with val validity, I'm simply using the words that I'm using. Mm -hmm. And then in the comments, you ask, does this apply? Are these people valid? Am I valid? This? Am I valid? Look at the Am fucking words that I'm using. If, if those words apply to the people that you're talking about then yes, because they are already included in that language. If not, 
I don't I don't care. Right. And and this is the thing. I am now neutral. I, I would say I'm neutral to the whole is this valid or is this not? But because people push it so hard, it forces me to be like, you you must stop using that mm-hmm. word. Like we must mm-hmm. redirect the conversation mm-hmm. away from validity. No one has the power to invalidate that. And if you're looking to other people, like an external source, especially from a stranger, mm-hmm. a stranger online, mm-hmm. to have the power to invalidate something that you know is an experience you've had, that is not that stranger's problem. Whether or not that's me or someone else. Yeah. Like, whether or not... Some, like, I know my experiences to have affected me the way that they have. Mm-hmm. And some and the way that you feel about them in the moment can be different of when you get older and you look back on those experiences. And then, what, are you going to say that you are now invalidating your past self? Like, what what the lines for having different perspectives on this whether or not from yourself or from an external person but i think when i don't want to get into biphobia shit again because i'm i'm already battling so many things on tiktok but like if people say that they have experienced biphobia and then they tell me or they comment they never i never ask but they tell the story Mm -hmm. anyway and it's something that's usually just straight up homophobia Mm -hmm. or just literally misogyny Mm -hmm. whether or not i disagree or agree with what label they or or what thing they decide to assign that experience to that experience having affected them and them having gone through it i i cannot invalidate that i can't say that someone didn't do that or someone didn't say that to them but, but that's also not the question. The... That's not what's being asked. That's not what's being discussed. Yeah. The discussion is not, this did but not happen what, to you. But that's what it always gets exactly. down to. Like, is they'll say, why would you say when that this when happened this happened to me. It's like, the thing is, is yeah. that the issue, we're not, no one is debating whether something has happened to you or not. We are debating, mm-hmm. and we are not debating, but rather the conversation is being held over the causes, the effects, and the systemic issues behind and in the aftermath of whatever situation you're talking about um and not in a specific way like your specific situation and your specific interpersonal conflict usually is derived from a larger systemic thing that we are talking about but for example if we're talking about like misogyny and we're like yeah like men we live in a world in which men are allowed to abuse and hate women without consequence a lot of the time because that's how that's the nature of patriarchy and a man was like you're actually invalidating my experiences because i was belittled by a woman once and it like you know what i mean it's like your comment about talking about greater systems of oppression it's like bringing up quote-unquote validity in that or invalidating ex-community whatever not materialist i fear and that undermines the conversation Mm -hmm. like that actively every time in the conversation And that's the part that I find annoying because someone also said that my TikTok was oppressive, like, to non-binary people or to, like... Right. Yeah, just, like, non-binary people. As if you're not non-binary? Like... No, I literally commented that and they're like, just because you're non-binary doesn't mean that you can't da-da-da. But it was because I used the word, like, men and women, but also, like, as classes. And, like, in my caption, I said, I'm not talking about men and women. I'm using these as, like... The gendered class terms. Yeah. Like, it's like we live so in a patriarchy. Comment, we live in a patriarchy and under patriarchy there are two yeah. genders. Man and woman. There are two genders in a patriarchal capitalist colonial society that we live under right now. And 
like that is what is created and upheld regardless of the individual identities uh-huh. like i'm not talking about people's individual identities i'm not saying yeah. you that every single are person a woman on earth but the is thing a is, is that a in a patriarchal society when you go out in the world you will be seen as a man or a woman it like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that's just what's gonna happen and this is something this is why trans activists and trans rights activists and people who've been speaking on this want to dismantle patriarchy and these the nature of gender depression because that's of course oppressive but when we talk about when we're describing how oppression works it's because that's how oppression works and part of being able to dismantle it is being able to actually identify it and use the language that is applicable to whatever situation we are speaking about in that moment and if in that moment we're Mm -hmm. talking about the the two genders in this world that the entire world operates on and entire systems and nations and countries and fucking societies and clubs and people operate off of it's not arbitrary and it's also intentional to not include other groups because in this world at large you are a man or a woman because I'm not, I don't believe in like reform in this way. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. I don't want to be add abolition. Three genders. I don't want to add extra genders exactly. to this little it's like, thing. I, like when talking about patriarchy, I'm not going to make like a trinary yeah. of gender. Yeah. To me, that doesn't make sense because as a non-binary person who clearly is seen in the world as a woman, mm-hmm. like when I go out into the world, I am she heard constantly and by strangers like these people know me for literally less than five seconds i'm to me that doesn't bother me as much and i'm not putting any harm i mean besides of like misogyny but i'm not putting any harm for that or anything but like i'm clearly seen as a woman there are non-binary people in the world who when they go out are seen as men Mm -hmm. in whatever way and it's not a to quote unquote invalidate their non-binariness as much as for me to talk about my experience as being perceived as a woman as being treated Mm -hmm. as a woman despite being non-binary isn't quote unquote invalidating my own identity non-binariness whatever that means it's just describing the reality of the situation material reality guys some of y'all have not like read dialectical materialism, dialectical and historical materialism <laughs> by Stalin, and it shows, it shows. Anyway. You can't say that all non-binary people experiences in, in terms of dealing with patriarchy yeah. in yeah. this way are the same because there are also trans non-binary people and non-trans non-binary yeah. people. And so to try and say that their experiences with gender are the same would not yeah. be correct. and also to like, like i would not say when that. you be universalized terms and we use the terms like trans or woman or man mm-hmm. or whatever like it's because the same way that renaissance is discussing how all non-binary people don't have a universal experience in the world in navigating the world some people face trans misogyny some people don't some people will just face straight up misogyny because of the way that they present like when we talk about that because we can't universalize that identity or experience that can also be applied to every to every other identity group or category you can't just say like yeah like yes all women are oppressed under patriarchy yes all non-binary people are marginalized due to the nature of how gender works in society but all women are not oppressed under patriarchy but in the same way like little girls yeah. being married to grown men and that being legal is not the same thing as women who like 
I don't know. Or girl bosses. Right. White women do not experience the same patriarchy that non-white women experience. Black women do not experience the same patriarchy yeah. that anyone... Like, that's the thing. We when, when we t- when we use these universalizing terms and these generic general labels and identities, it's because we're trying to describe a material reality in a general sort of way. It's not to invalidate anyone's experiences. It's actually a way of validating via encompassing people's experiences in a universal way that in which that people as collectives will experience oppression. On the Lavender Menace TikTok, you stitched a TikTok from my personal account because someone made like, a, what was it? Like magical, magical non-binaries instead of like mm-hmm. gorgeous, gorgeous girls. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. They changed it. And underneath the audio of the non-binary remix were people who, when going out into public not knowing that they're non-binary are going to be classified as women Uh and that separation of saying that non-binary is this completely unrelated experience uh, in terms of how you get gendered in the world like how you navigate the world yeah it's very delusional talking about the way that women experience the world it's better to open up the category of woman Mm -hmm. why why is woman seen in such an exclusive way Mm -hmm. that isn't actually reflective of the way that gender oppression works why not use woman in a more expansive way than try and jam pack a bunch of other identities in in relation like woman comma non-binary comma genderqueer comma all these other things that are going to be oppressed and marginalized because of patriarchy yeah why not expand what woman means and this is coming from someone i do not have any connection to the traditional sense of womanhood like mm-hmm. it's viewing myself as an extension of manhood is not something that that i particularly enjoy or see myself doing mm-hmm. um, it's also a dichotomy in which it's like if you are a if man exists woman must exist if woman exists man must exactly. exist and the thing is is that like a lot of lesbians i know and also a lot of lesbians in general and historically have always felt marginalized in their gender identity in that particular way and i think in similar ways same for like gay men and also like if we think about the drag community or the relationship between trans women and gay men historically and presently mm-hmm. like there's relationships there that have to do with trans identity gender nonconformity, patriarchy trans misogyny in these ways that are unique to people's experiences but ultimately all derive from the nature of material gendered oppression in the world so when we talk about how gendered oppression manifests and don't use quote-unquote validating language it's because the world Mm -hmm. the world doesn't see you as valid my dude no one cares about the world doesn't even give a fuck that you exist you are just another body to capitalism you are just another cog in the machine so why are you coming at us at other people for quote unquote invalidating you when we wield no power over you nor can we determine your experiences or not oh am i valid if i am this and this and this i don't fucking know why are you asking me this why should i be the one telling you whether you experience the things that you experience whether whether you should identify with whatever you identify with like i just think that again this a lot of this shit comes down to ignorance and not knowing how the world works and like not thinking enough not reading enough not engaging with the world enough but sunny that's really unnuanced of you (laughs) 
What about all of the nuances? Oh my god. Not everything is, is black and black white. And white okay? <laughs> you really have to take into account the nuanced experience of the nuanced experiences of all of these, these nuanced, nuanced identities. People, and- I fear. <laughs> Okay, there's a lot of nuance that you're missing here. Mm. Um, to get that's my brilliant freaking segue into the second half because it is true and also related because w- w- I feel that the like you say something, someone says, but that's invalidating, and then you reply, don't care, and then <laughs> the second reply is that's not nuance, right? Um, and the example of like. You can care about the people who are being invaded and the people who are doing the invading. I think is hilarious, like terrible. Like no, but I don't. But that's exactly what people I, say. I, as in, I don't exactly care about people who what are people doing say. the invading. Guys, we should consider the but colonized really is, well, and I the colonizers. When, like when people try in lump in, like uh, this person is saying, like ACAP includes the military. So when you try, like people who include or try to include police officers and military people and like the workers, mm-hmm. like they're workers too. No, no, bitch. <laughs> they're, they're cut from the team. They're cut from they're the team. They're literally because... enforcers of the state in the most violent Exa- manner possible, guys. Like, property over lives. Mm-hmm. Like, if your job in- means that you care more about loitering and tr- tr- quote unquote trespassing, as in, like, whatever that means. Like, I'm not meaning, like, in your fucking apartment. Or bench, evading but, like, a fucking fair, stealing some goddamn yeah. groceries. If you think that is, like, more like, of an issue that you need to address. Police should go after people who are stealing diapers and baby formula for their child more like then the alleviation of poverty. Than like, then yeah. people's lives. Yeah. Mm, die like <laughs> i don't i don't fucking and there's no inherent goodness that comes from that because like even the way that like public education or teaching in the united states obviously there are very fucked up elements to that having a community space where children go to and there are multiple adults that are looking after and literally raising children mm-hmm. and trying to inform them that the basis of that has some inherent to society you know like even like with the way that the united states is like it can't be good in the united states but teaching generally and it's necessary it's necessary in every culture people have throughout history there have been people who raised children and taught them like that's that's part of the human experience i fear but police in this way military in this way not at all imperialism Invasion? These are very new things, and they're unnecessary. And when you get to the root of them, like, it's it's not not good. Like, <laughs> it's just, is like, no. And I think, like, the U.S. military is so fucking huge and has its fingers in a whole lot of different honeypots. And, you know, I, people try and, I, like, I don't know, soften military criticism by saying that they go after, uh, you know, kids who are usually of the lower classes, like in high school. Like, I had military recruiters on my high school. I fucking mm-hmm. hated them. Same. I'm like, this is not a cute little pull-up contest that they would host on school. Like, this is the fucking U.S. military. Yeah. Like, get out of here. You know, mm-hmm. that is true, but that is not me caring about both sides. I do not fucking care about U.S. soldiers. Mm-hmm. Sorry if that fucking gets me on a list or whatever i don't care because that's the truth i much rather care 
about the people that are actually facing the violence Mm -hmm. at the hands of the u.s military Mm -hmm. because they are facing violence and violence to such an an extreme degree that most people of the united states who live within the united states will not experience Mm -hmm. yeah you're just never gonna get carpet bombed for no reason but other people in other countries just like walking around yeah in your town like in your home You are just not going to You're not going to be in a hospital or in a daycare and then all of a sudden 95% civilian mortality rate. Like, flat, your entire Mm -hmm. country flattened in a week because of decisions that the U.S. made. Like, you're just not going to experience that. So there is no nuance here. There's no sympathy. There's no both sides. I also think that the thing about the whole nuance thing in, in relation to American imperialism is how it's like, well, both countries can be bad. China can be bad and the U.S. can be bad. Oh, like the U.S., maybe the U.S. is bad, but like it's not like the U.S. is always any better or whatever. So that's not nuance. That is called propaganda. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> nuance that's that's just incorrect what our listener and submission is saying about how you know claiming a higher moral ground and being like look i'm a i will rise above this and say there's nuance it's like no you simply don't have a moral backbone you're spineless you're spineless Mm -hmm. if you're going to default a conversation of okay should we kill people or should we not is it good when a country that has a lot a lot a lot a lot of power sends military forces elsewhere to a country that does not have that much power is that good well there's a lot of nuance going on here like motherfucker it's no it's just ridiculous now that nuance has kind of taken this mainstream vocab word whatever it's kind of being used as like a compliment of like wow you're so nuanced or you have you have such nuanced, such nuanced takes. take and sometimes that's not inherently a good thing yeah such as this example Maybe racism is bad, but, like, let's be a little bit more nuanced here. Okay, motherfucker, racism is bad. Like, <laughs> exactly. Like, I like th- that's just the reality of the situation. This is the thing, is that the same thing with, like, patriarchy. Under patriarchy, there are two genders mm-hmm. because that that is the nature of patriarchy. Patriarchy creates and upholds those things. There is some things, such as systems of oppression and structures in this way, that create black and white situations quite literally Mm -hmm. black and Mm -hmm. white situations and that there was a a considerable moment of time in the united states that if you were not white you were black Mm -hmm. for whatever that meant and there's a reason why passing as a concept and as we talk about in our previous episode exists if you wanted you were either black or you were white and there are some black people who abandoned their entire livelihoods communities and connections to be white because truly Mm -hmm. you could only be black or white and if you could pass for white maybe you would just it would just be easier for you to be white like that's this is how race works this is the the non-black and white this is the black and white nature of an unnuanced society there can be no nuance in a society that is so unnuanced in the way that it oppresses people it doesn't give a fuck that you that you don't identify as a woman you identify as non-binary you're still going to be oppressed by patriarchy Men are still going to treat you like shit yeah. and view view you as a woman and treat you as such because they view women as, as shit. Like, that is mm-hmm. how this shit works, I fear. There are also people who think that, who call things that are nuanced that are not. So talking about the differences in the way that white women experience patriarchy and sexism versus the way that black women or non-white women experience patriarchy and the different ways that those form, that's not always nuanced. That's just facts. being able to observe right. the reality of the situation. That's just facts. That's that's what it is. And just because you are blind to something and then someone brings that to your attention doesn't necessarily mean that 
what they're saying is more nuanced mm-hmm. or so much more expansive. You were they just, just have ignorant. knowledge that is different than yours. They're just painting a reality that exists, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is not an, that is not always actual nuance. That's just either you being ignorant or misinform misinformed, and now not being. Congratulations, but. Like, this idea that everything has to be nuanced, n- no. No. Like, there are things that are nuanced, mm-hmm. and then there are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to get into our last hot take? That is very silly, and that I think a listener tagged yes. you in the comment of this TikTok. Oh, my God. When yes. I tell you, I listener- lost my mind <laughs> seeing this screenshot. <laughs> we were... <laughs> We were giggling. The giggle factory was was up and going. So I do not know the name of the person who tagged me because they had like user with a really long number and like no name attached or anything. Um, so I'm just going to call this person. And their profile picture was just pink. So this was pink user submission. Tagged me in a TikTok and the TikTok said, hot gay take, bottom shaming is just recycled misogyny. Ooh, Ooh. and the crowd gasped. <laughs> and then the caption said because it ties back to the fake idea that submission is a weak feminine thing and period also this is a white person who posted this so like that's cringe first why why that that's not no okay um why do you guys think and, bottoms and are the- submissive i feel like there's a difference there's okay like sub versus dom culture comes from like bdsm culture right like there's submissives and there's mm-hmm. dominance but bottom and top i'm pretty sure like it came out of like gay sex communities right where it's like are you getting yeah. penetrated or are you doing the penetrating like i feel like these are different i mean it, it, it doesn't these definitions and the way that they're used and what they actually mean and their the historical context it's been removed and shifted a lot especially currently and with the internet but like i just don't i think this post is made with the assumption i think that like you're saying being submissive is seen as a feminine thing and but like you think of being submissive as being penetrated which is itself like it, like an interesting an interesting equivocation i guess this hot take is doing more to show this original poster's own hand right than it is to actually have it to say like in this is this is my original response that i was saying sunny is that like people die because of misogyny like people (laughs) are hated deeply because of misogyny i don't think anyone is really i don't think being a bottom is really coming with the same consequences that facing misogyny is that's just not something that can be observed in a real way like there are that you know people make jokes of like you're a bottom or you're a top or you know but that already comes with so many other assumptions and identities that are being assumed not just walking around the world going that's bottom that's top Mm. that's bottom that's top in the way that like being perceived in a gendered way Mm. and then facing misogyny because of that perception can come with very real consequences i don't think that being a bottom has yeah has like that, same that shit is about what you do like in the bedroom that other people are like not, quite literally in privacy like, qu- literally in privacy and then like while having sex bro like that is literally what these terms are used to describe and what they mean 
gender and gender presentation, femininity, masculinity, and then like what you, what your gender is and how you are perceived in the world. Those things are social. Those things are things that are constantly being perceived and exist like in and out of having sex. Like, you know, is this is just not, you can't make that equivalency. You can't make that comparison. And you're also kind of just saying that you think that all quote unquote bottoms are also like feminine, I guess. I Or somehow saying that like making fun of, I guess, making fun of like masks or butches for being a bottom and then somehow shaming them for that and implying that they should be a top. But then wouldn't that just show your own hand that you think that masculinity goes hand in hand with topping somehow right but that's still not recycled misogyny some of this just is misogyny which is the whole thing is people make hot takes and have opinions as if misogyny is is in the past Mm -hmm. as As if if it it is something that we have gotten over you know some people do this with like racism of like oh this is like new racism no this is still racism it's actually the same thing that has has been here like where do you think the break in racism happened when did it stop and what do you pinpoint as the return like what do you see as the end and the new beginning of racism misogyny homophobia transphobia like where do you where do you draw these lines because this stuff that you think is recycled repackaged new it's it's the same not it's the same it's the the same same thing. thing Do I think that bottoming has anything to do? Do I think that people in the feminist movement, in the gay liberation movement, were really, you know, striving for bottom rights? (laughs) I don't necessarily think that was at the top of the agenda. Um, Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, If Miss Marsha ever really had a very empowered speech about bottom rights, um, please, please correct me. Uh, But I just don't think that that, was really what was happening i think people want to have want to be liberated in actual liberation and not face violence and i don't think that being a bottom is playing as big of a factor Mm -hmm. into that as this quote-unquote hot take makes it like i don't think that this is a hot take right i don't think jokes about about your sexual like if it's a joke about sex like jokes are not oppression things online are not oppression because you can block it's these also people just an observation like both both jokes about how bottoms act and this hot take like mm-hmm. this screenshot of this tiktok talking about how bottoms are i don't misogyny blah 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 these yeah, these are just observations from like your personal life or from the internet that might not have any grounding in material reality i fear you know hot takes that don't have anything to do with reality what's new you know i feel i feel like all all, we can really all these people all these people who are quote-unquote against tankies who talk about (laughs) validity politics yeah who want everything to be nuanced or not nuanced bottoms and misogyny (laughs) we need to touch real things we need to center ourselves we need to do some breathing exercises we need to ground ourselves and just really think what is happening in the reality around me? <laughs> and and we need to we need to get back within ourselves and reflect. Mm. I I think mm. 
because people just use words like garnish. Okay, massage. Oh, I have a little hot take sprinkling a little misogyny. Mm. I'm gonna add that word in there because I yeah. think it 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 adds I don't like your there. politics. This isn't this is a tanky You're invalidating me. Like why are you being such a tanky right I now? Mean, or s- sprinkle in that. Sprinkle in valid or invalid, whatever works to that commenter's benefit. And same nuanced. All of these words mean things. You have to know what they mean, and then you can use them correctly. And when you don't, and people who do know how to use these words correctly see that and call you out on it own up to it learn yeah. do be better yeah exactly that's it now moving on to the shared media portion of today's episode so we okay this is also inspired by tiktok i fear okay tiktok versus our lives who <laughs> it's, it's getting really bad but it's bad anyway scared? the the tiktok that we saw i saw this random person come on my for you page who I think was a black lesbian, I don't remember, but and I didn't even watch the whole video, but I just saw the beginning and they were like, there's this new short film on Netflix called Heart Shot and it's crazy. You should go watch it right now. And I was like, okay, me and Renaissance will be watching and discussing. And we did. Mm-hmm. So Heart Shot is a 2022 short film directed by a woman. I think she's white. She d- d- identifies as queer and it features a mask lesbian who is so hot, by the way. She might be Waysian. Who's scared? Anyway. <laughs> And then the, not even like, okay, Sunny. Then the like love interest or the other character in the short film is a black lesbian. She's like, well, not, maybe not lesbian, but like queer girl. And she's giving like femme, you know. So Mm -hmm. it's another like butch femme dynamic, which has been a consistent theme for this, for this season, I think, which is very slay. It has. And I'm very happy because I do, I do love butch femme Mm, dynamics. And... Yeah, so what did you think of this short film, Renaissance? I'll start with my rating yeah. of it. You can um, follow us on Letterboxd I gave it, at The Lavender Menace, I believe. Yes. I rated it a, a, th- a three and a half. Because mm-hmm. I think for a short film, like, you have to take it into context. Like, this is also only 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. So, like, what can be conveyed in 15 mm-hmm. minutes? I think that it was good. I think the actors are... A little green they perhaps. are a little like inexperienced very, yeah it was it was acting with the capital a <laughs> you know like i'll i'll you know right. i'll admit it first of all i was just so shocked at the camera quality really? and like it seemed to be like i mean there wasn't like a huge set like it all essentially takes place in one house the casting is pretty limited and I didn't think it was that bad. It has a 2.7 average mm. on Letterboxd, which, to be fair, doesn't have, like, a whole lot of ratings mm-hmm. to even that out. Um, it looks like their top rating is three stars with 186. And I thought that was kind of low because I was like, even though, I don't know. But, okay, this this is my this is my big thing, a- away from the ratings, is it definitely seemed very inspired by Debs. It's fun. I love it. I know. Every, I, every dyke loves I really, that movie. <laughs> And you recommended it to me on one of our previous episodes. It was one of your media recommendations, Debs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, listeners. So the listeners who who keep up. uh, Been here since day (laughs) one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's very similar to that. Also, Debs was um, originally a short film as well before it became the, like, longer format. And I prefer the feature-length film um, to the short film there's there's a lot of good changes that were made between the two and anyways heart shot 
definitely I feel like Heartshot would not work as a feature length film. I, okay, this is that was my other thing. I do not want a feature length mm-hmm. film. A lot of the people who really enjoyed it in their reviews on Letterboxd of Heartshot and the original TikToker that we're referencing both kind of I well I remember from the TikTok want a full length mm. film. I'm very satisfied yeah. narratively where it ended. Yeah, agree. I do not want to see it past that right. point. Like unless it was a feature length film that maybe expanded right on because it, it, what was already there's in not it, much that would be that fine. could be prefaced in a movie based off of yeah. like you would have to pick up where it left off and then make another yeah. hour and 15 minutes of content based off of what like where you ended for it to be like and it would have to be like a kill bill type situation you know what i mean like it would have to be very yeah like so i i i mean and i think that and like I don't know if the writer has even the capacity for that. I just don't shit. see these two. Yeah, I don't I don't think the writing is strong enough to make it into a feature right. film. I think it's perfectly fine for a short film. Honestly, when I looked up the director, I was like, "You are you look a little bit older than who I assumed the person who would have this writing." Like I thought it would be a much younger yeah, writer and director. But I thought it was like it was cute. I thought it was fairly fresh. I was, like, very impressive that this is on Netflix. Whoever was able to make that happen, right, you know, right. congrats. I thought, it, I thought it was a cute moment. Yeah. But people, like, I liked it, but I felt like a lot of the people who, like, really liked it, like, want more. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, my gosh, obsessed, and I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. And the people who, like, really hated it, I was like, I think you're just being a hater, to be honest. Right, right, right. And we love being haters, so. We do, which, I mean, I think that's really saying something. If I think a hater is being too much, yeah. that yeah. is saying yeah. something. I, I rated it three stars. I thought it, like, it was, like, not camp enough to be camp. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, like, self-aware enough. But I don't think it was to be trying. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why. I mean, Debs is. Right. Like, Debs is camp. Yeah. Like, it is camp. Right. But see, this, this short film is, like, it could be, but it airs more on the side of cringe, unfortunately. Like, it's more... I did get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I did get but, that. But, like, the actors were really good looking, so... <laughs> I, that's my renaissance moment. I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was actually cringe or if, like... The acting wasn't great? Yeah. Yeah. You know? not to be shady but i feel like i i couldn't tell if like is this actually bad or do i just feel like this as it is could be could be better right you know right what i mean i think like is nikki the mask one mm. or is sam the mask one i think nikki's backstory the implications of it i wanted to get out of my haterade era of hating teenagers so i really tried hard to air on the side of liking it and i did but i also can tell it's like try not to think too hard about the plot because then i'd just be like i don't know i mean the beginning portion of the plot of like your mom being out of town and then you invite your girlfriend to stay over for two days that part i'm like yeah high schoolers would do that and do do that um nikki's particular backstory i was like okay interesting um, I like that she steals. In right, general, right, 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 right. It feels like but... there's just not much there. You know how when you 
watch a short film or you see something short like for me i read a lot of short stories and like novellas and stuff Mm -hmm. and i can always tell when i'm reading it oh there's a world beyond this we're just getting a glimpse into it these characters Mm -hmm. feel real outside of the little amount of time that we get to spend with them and this world mm-hmm. feels real. But in this short film, I didn't really get mm-hmm. that feeling. It just felt kind of like fan fiction-y, pulling pieces of like disparate issues yeah. and plot points and things together. But again, like I think that the other elements of the short film outweigh those things that I was like, okay, this makes it kind of... It's not a seamless viewing experience. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, and that can mean different things for different people. Like sometimes sometimes I'll watch something that I know is like pretty good, but it's just hard. It's really fucking hard to watch. Yeah, I feel like I needed Nikki and her backstory to just be... More concrete. Like, I just needed a little bit more... There's not enough material, I fear. I get it. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for the listeners. Go watch it. It's only 15 minutes long. Literally pause this, watch this, come back. I understand, like, if I had to kind of say what I think her background is, like, I got it. I don't know if this movie is trying to err on the side of superhero, like, where, you know, how the MC technically takes place in the real world, but then there are also superhero aspects. I don't know if that's what's implied. I don't know if it's supposed to be gang reference. I don't know. Like, I think that's supposed to be what we think it is initially, but then as it unfolds it becomes a little bit unclear as to exactly what it is and i understand maybe the director is trying to go for a really nuanced experience Um, like a really mysterious like like we're supposed to see nikki as the super mysterious but it gave vague more so than mysterious i feel yeah it it did give i i just and what you said about the director like seeming you you not expecting her to be as old as she was when you looked her up like i agree it feels like Mm -hmm. almost like a grad school mfa project you know what i mean like it feels Mm -hmm. but like one that was like really well funded like a really well funded grad school short film is what it gets like you know not to compare everyone's on their own creative journey Emma Shiva baby baby Shiva Shiva baby baby. Shiva Shiva baby both short film and full-length film spectacular heart eight down you know eight and with yes god yes yeah that yes god yes short film also ate this one movie um ooh both of those short films that then turned into full-length films felt real and like grounded and the universe was already fully formed mm-hmm. and that's why they were able to make to become of, yeah full films is because that universe and those characters were already fully existed and even like another short film is also directed by emma seligman called void from 2017 that she made that's also really good that i mean it has yet to be a full-length film but it's just another standalone short film that i think is better leading lady parts that one is probably like really well funded but it's also a short film that you can watch i highly recommend watching leading lady parts on youtube which it does have like an all-star cast like i'm not gonna lie like a big heavy hitter names in that short film but still a short film that already feels like an entire world these characters are real this space is real that exists in a way that heart shot just doesn't give that to me and 
again, I would be fine with that because the actors are really young and if the director and the writer were also kind of young and I think it's impressive if like this was like a first or, you know, second, third project. It was cute. Is cute. Like, I think because I already like Debs, I was like, okay, like, I'll like this. I do think Debs is heads and shoulders better. Yeah. I, I think the full-length film of Debs is better. And the short film, I don't really like the short film of Debs that much, but... I just think some people are really, really, really smart, good writers and directors. And some people mm-hmm. are not, I fear. Like, like Sam Levinson not a really great writer director i don't think like not i mean maybe director mm-hmm. pretty solid but writer no like and i think that maybe that might be to a lesser degree what's happening here as well i just think that some people like emma seligman she's just a genius like every time yeah. i rewatch that movie and i've rewatched that movie so many times at this point and with so many people who all absolutely love it every time someone watches that movie with me they always end it with being like sunny that was so fucking good and then they'll reference it to me for the net for every other like time we talk because it's just so good and then every time i've rewatched it i've gotten something else from it and maybe that's because like i'm kind of like dumb and like couldn't really pick up on the on the various double entendres and what's really going on the first time around but every other time i pick up on another element of humor on another detail that is so smart on another way that the camera angles and the shots and the way that like we follow our care like and the fleshed out feeling of these characters relationships the the tension there the palpable tension in all of these relationships that it's just it's like nothing once you you know when you watch like such a good movie that nothing else that that features similar themes or characters or genres or settings will it just will never compare like that's how i feel unfortunately well not unfortunately but like that's how i feel with like a lot of things and it's just like critically enjoying media it's 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 hard out here for us i guess true very very true and and i love shiva baby it's an amazing film do you have anything else to say about heart shot no we can move on to our recommendations if you want oh wait oh my god i need to tell you i read recessative oh slay yeah and it what did you think so it, this past month they released like a hardbound edition that's just the short story because it's appeared in collections before but not mm. on its own and mm-hmm. the preface is by zadie smith who is a british black woman writer and she has won a bunch of prizes she's she's written a lot of shit and won a bunch of awards for it but i thought that the preface Gave some cringe neoliberal vibes at points, but otherwise was, like, kind of interesting. Right. And Mm -hmm. it also sort of contextualized the story for me and and pulled out specific details. Because I I read the preface before I read the actual story, and it pulled out details and plot lines to analyze within it. So when I got to the actual story itself, I kind of – I mean, of course, I already knew what was happening based off of what you had told me. But I also knew what some of the lines of dialogue and what specific lines were going to sound like and what they were going to – be because of that preface and then once I actually finished reading the short story I thought that it was kind of it was kind of genius um I mean of course it's Toni Morrison but like it the preface also kind of talked about how when black readers read recessive more often they will view the main character as being the black character and when white people read recessive Mm -hmm. they're more likely to think that the main character is white 
but then they will then run into the situation of like, well, but Toni Morrison is a black writer. So why would you? So maybe it's so like, you know what I mean? That question of what makes someone black, what makes someone white? Those questions, of course, like very titillating, very intelligently produced um, and ultimately kind of shows all the ways that race really, really matters. But also it doesn't like race is stupid, mm-hmm. but it makes but it really affects people's lives. And it's just it's arbitrary and it's not like I think that that dichotomy that nuance that Toni Morrison is actually able to portray effectively through her writing is that's why it's a classic that's why it's so well received and understood to be so fucking good I mean it just is Um, I also think like the fact that the last sentence of the story talks about I think her name is Mary the kitchen maid that they made fun of throughout school and then Mm -hmm. ends on that note it's like Toni Morrison and I think Zadie Smith makes this observation in the preface as well where it's like who are the the Marys of the world? Who are the people who are jointly jointly denigrated and abused? Or there's there is a feeling and there's an inclination to abuse them precisely because you don't even view them as the same level of human as you or the other person, and thus don't even designate them a race. Because the two main characters sort of they argue over, oh, was she black? No, I thought she was white. Like that's the thing. It's like some, I think it kind of shows, Morrison kind of reveals to us in that, that when it comes to hierarchy and when it comes to class relations and how power operates on a certain level and in specific situations and when we're looking at things in a particular way, race is irrelevant. I mean, that's it's, it's part of recessive as a short story, but also in the detail of Mary and the fact that these two main characters who we as a reader don't know the races of, don't know the race of Mary. It's like this meta narrative that I find so compelling. Um, and speaking of meta narratives, I think the watermelon woman also does that as well. And if you want to hear us mm-hmm. talk about the watermelon woman, go subscribe to our Patreon, become a Patreon subscriber. You can listen to us talk about the Watermelon Woman in detail and go watch Watermelon Woman because it's like a classic movie. Like, anyway, so yeah, those are my thoughts on Recessive. I'm glad that you read it because I also think I I definitely brought it up during passing, yeah. if not before or after. And that really what, what informed my watching of passing where you had read the actual book that it was an adaption of and that's where you were coming from with having read it i'm i'm glad that you did i mean again it's tony morrison like i was gonna say it's so brilliant but then i was like who who, who, who doesn't talking know about that here? Right? like exactly also, like, recessive it, is brilliant in that it's fucking timeless because it can't be adapted it just can't be. There's yeah. no way for you to cast these people, which like with passing in our passing episode, it's like, yeah, the casting is a really interesting element of the media itself, but it would be impossible to cast recessive. A hundred percent. And I was going to talk to you about this anyway, but this is, this reminds me of it, is that I really appreciate pieces of media that in whatever form- Takes advantage of the medium fully in and of itself. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we've talked about, I don't know if this is on the pod or just... We talked about on the pod how like, I don't together. like, well, how I think that so many movies are sci-fi, sci-fi adaptations because of the nature of how sci-fi works. And yeah, we talked about that. And like, I understand the maybe creative drive to want to adapt something yeah. as like, if you are a creative person and you appreciate this medium. And so you want to then like create the world of like that are in these comics or that are in these sci-fi books or whatever, even though doing that, fundamentally takes away such a key element yeah of that i think like pieces that 
like something that is on film that you just can't bring to the stage something that's yeah. that is originally on the stage that can't really be made into mm-hmm. a film and they try and it flops yeah. in the way yeah. that mean the stage girls production does dear it. evan hansen yeah and you know so like something like recitative that is so like you just you have to read it there's no yeah. other way but to read mm-hmm. it because casting them would fundamentally in, change what the story is about you'd have to assign and then even if it's animated even just the simple act of like physic like actually coloring in the story mm-hmm. would change it so 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 much yeah. Yeah. i love it i love it and it also shows again with the whole like short film to full length feature film adaptation thing and an extension it's like it shows for i mean with like fleabag phoebe waller bridge it was a short stand-up piece and then it was a play and then it was a TV mm-hmm. show. And in every manifestation mm-hmm. was brilliant, which is why it became those other things. But in each of those manifestations took advantage of its medium to its fullest capacity and form. For example, yeah. and like I think an adaptation that is really, a sci-fi adaptation that's really good is Arrival, which is based off of a Ted Chang short story and it called your, The Story of Your Life and Others, which I've, re- I've read, I think, all of Ted Chang's short stories and he's a brilliant sci-fi writer and he's Chinese. Chinese science fiction writers are on some next level shit. Like, it's actually crazy. Like, <laughs> insane. Anyway, that adaptation is is brilliant because the movie and the short story, it's ultimately about linguistics, which is about physics, which is about time, which is about li- la- the nature of one's life, the story of one life, the story of your life and others, mm-hmm. and the way that it was portrayed it visually with the aliens and the circles and, like... It expanded upon the story in a way that you could not experience in the story, but the story expands on the ideas of the film that the film can't really fully ex- expand upon due to the nature of the So yeah, I think like media matters. And also, yeah. if the, I haven't seen the Shiva Baby short film, but I really want to. I'm sure Shiva Baby as a short film works so well as a short film. And I mean, with Yes, God, Yes, yeah. which is another one of the movies that we've discussed, I think on season two, I watched the short film and then I watched the movie. In fact, the reason why I knew that the movie was going to be a thing is because I watched the short film and I was like, this is funny, like, this is funny and I like it and I want to watch the movie and I was excited to. Like, it as a short film really, really fucking works and it's brilliant. And then when you make it a movie, it's mm-hmm. again brilliant. So I think like... You know, that really sort of shows the mark of someone who is really good at their craft and also like a narrative that is actually really compelling enough to either be adapted, to be adaptable, to be extendable or to not be. Do you have a recommendation for me or should should I start? I do have a recommendation. I actually name dropped it already, but I think I'm going to have I? I don't think I've recommended this before. Gemma Chan and Gemma Arterton are both in it. And I want them to do more projects together so freaking bad. Like, they have met before, multiple times before. And they're both in this short film together. And I'm obsessed with both of them. And mm. I need them to mm. act together. I want them. And, it, okay, I have I have this very specific want of a film for both of them. Yeah. I want, like, um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith recreation, but gay, and with Gemma Chan and Gemma mm. Arterton. And there, there's just, a, it's very specific, but I need it mm. for me Interesting. in my life. Something about, I also just want a sapphic recreation of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I don't know Smith, what Mr. and Mrs. Smith is, to be honest. It is the film with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. and it's the film that they met 
it's kind of like an enemies to lover type thing, I guess. Because they're like pretending to be married right, in order right, to right, get right, this right. spy mission done. Um, hence, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But they kind of have like a bantery dynamic yeah. thing. Yeah. But like, I mean, Angelina Jolie is still gorgeous. But like at the time, they're like literally the two hottest actors on the scene mm-hmm. so it kind of blew everyone's mind um anyways leading lady parts it is from 2018 you can watch it on youtube i so i watch it all the time it was directed by jessica swale i always forget how to pronounce her last name i think it's i think it's swale i'm so sorry jessica but she directed summerland which is one of my favorite movies in the entire world i love it um that also has Gemma Arterton in it and it is essentially a short film that takes place in an audition room and there are these three people three like of the casting directors who are just like absolute assholes and they are auditioning women for the quote-unquote leading lady part and you see all of these like big name actresses that are like partly playing themselves but I don't know if it's actually reflective of how they audition for things anyways but drawing on their own experience these actresses come in and audition and like basically the very horrific ways that actresses are being treated during the auditioning process but it's really funny it's done in this very comedic way the main like casting director is Catherine Tate who is a very famous British comedic actress who's very popular anyways it's really good it's literally 11 minutes long and i'm pretty sure like the credits are like the last two minutes so i think it's like probably less than 10 minutes long i will check it out i have it pulled up actually in, yeah. in it's cute my perpetual the fact i like if you're caught up on the sunny lore you will know that i have at least like five youtube tabs open at any given time so many youtube tabs open <laughs> all of the time and why Sunny doesn't just use the watch later I do later use the watch later feature? feature, but it's for art videos. You can make other playlists. But I don't want to make like, other playlists. You can playlists. make an art video play. Like, you just, you literally click it to, like, the save, and then you just click the playlist. I know, I also use playlists, but, like, I use playlists for videos that I've already watched more so. Anyway, okay, regardless. And it's also... This is so insane. <laughs> this is insanity. What's more insane, my YouTube habits or ha- my handwriting? Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's that's the final boss. Your handwriting is the final boss of insanity. No, and the thing is, is that I think my handwriting being so incomprehensible. Also, it's always been this way. Like when I was a kid, when I would turn in my shit, people would be like, "Sunny, literally, what is this?" And it's always been like that. I've, I've tried to get better at the at it, but then eventually, it just didn't matter anymore because everything became typing. But it's nice because. When I journal, no one's ever going to be able to read that shit, even if they wanted to. Like, come on now. Anyways, the the recommendation that I have is a book that I think relates to The Watermelon Woman a bit now that I've watched it and that we're going to be talking about it on our exclusive podcast episode. It was released in October of 2021, and it's called The Days of Afrikiti by Azali Solomon. So it follows this black lesbian in Philly who goes to Bryn Mawr, which like this, you know, that's Mm -hmm. like, those are elements that are in The Watermelon Woman. But the thing is, is that The Days of Afrikiti, Afrikiti, I think is 
a character or a or a goddess or some sort of it's, it's a name based off of Audre Lorde's book Zami um, a new spelling of my name there's a, I haven't read it yet but there's a character in it named Afrikiti so this book is sort of a play on that but it's sort of it's kind of like the divines in that it alternates perspectives and there's no like teenagehood in here it's about being in college versus being like an adult we're in her perspective the whole time and I think it's like a first person narration point of view situation and she at this point is like an older middle-aged black woman who is married to this white lawyer guy who's running for office and then basically there's this vague mentioning of how the FBI is going to like take him away and arrest him because he's committed some sort of crime in the process of running for like mayor of Philly or something like that and she's hosting a dinner party so you're kind of alternating scenes with the dinner party and then her flashing back to college when she was just like a dyke and all she did was date other like hook up with other lesbians and like get involved in that scene and then meet this one girl and like her life leading up to the point that she married this man and then is now facing the consequences of sitting at the dinner table with her son like upstairs and her husband being fucking annoying at the dinner party as well as also probably going to get thrown in prison for white collar crime so it's it's very interesting it's pretty short it's like like 200 pages long and it has that non like a non-chronological order situation alternating perspective thing and she talks obviously a lot about her like her sexuality and her race and then of course also the politics of now being like a wealthier well-to-do lawyer type woman who has a I think like Mexican maid basically and the maid has a daughter who like there's all these other politics involved in it and it's kind of funny like there are points at it that made me laugh out loud because I was like this is utterly ridiculous or just written in a way that's supposed to be funny and I don't know I think it was it was a really solid like literary fiction read and I would recommend it. That is a really good recommendation and it reminds me a lot of another film that I think I'm going to mention when we talk about the watermelon woman. But while you were talking about your recommendation, I was looking to see if I had already recommended Leading Lady Parts on our Twitter account and our thread of recommendations. Everyone should check it out if you... It's pinned, slay. And all in chronological order of the episode, so go ahead and scroll through. Yeah, that kind of brings us to the close of today's episode. Go follow us on all our social medias. It's all the Lavender Menace or the Lavender Menace pod everywhere. And, you know, subscribe to our Patreon if you haven't already, um, especially because we're going to have like not just bonus content, not just bloopers, not just video stuff, not just early access, but an exclusive episode like who is so excited and over the watermelon woman like i'm excited but yeah that is that um again i'm sunny you can find me at a sunny book nook on youtube instagram twitter yeah my twitter is at renaissance first e is an x and my instagram is at renaissance marie and my youtube is also renaissance marie and my tiktok is also renaissance marie please send me nice things and please (laughs) type up my non-queer theory tiktoks because I would literally post a TikTok of me being hot, mm-hmm. crickets. I post one of me looking not hot, <laughs> spouting some queer theory shit, and that's the one that decides to get tens of thousands of views. So if we can really <laughs> balance out those numbers, I'd appreciate it, yeah. Lavender Menace yeah. listeners. And unfollow me on TikTok. Don't stop. <laughs> Just don't. Okay, that's all. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.